You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Mission Field USA listeners to our next installment of the Mission Field USA podcast. I'm Pastor Steve Shave, Director of LCMS Church Planting, and with me as my co-host, the Reverend Dr. Mark Larson, Manager of LCMS Church Planting. Hello, Mark. Hello, Steve. Today we have a very special guest with us today as we consider the topic of who is mission planting in Mission Field USA. We have the Reverend Dr. John Feeney. Uh, he has not only been a church planner for Grace Lutheran Church in Sandy City, Utah, but also Advent Lutheran Church in Zionsville, Indiana. And one thing I know that warms our hearts, Mark, is that not only uh, was the church planted, but then those churches went on to plant as well, which is always a, a great thing. Pastor Feeney served as well as a vice president for the Indiana District and also as a member of the board of directors for the Rocky Mountain District. Mark, did you cross paths? No. 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 All right. no. I know you were the mission executive there for a little bit. Uh, actually, on Vicarage, I think he was in Sandy when I was in Boulder. Oh, okay. And but, also, uh, Dr. Feeney uh, has taught on the subject of mission planting as an adjunct professor there at uh, the seminary in Fort Wayne. And I know I can speak from experience. I know he's spoken at many pastor's conferences, but uh, while I was there at seminary going through the mission development program. He was certainly a good mentor for me, so thank him for that. And then also speaking of seminary days, he is, as well, the uh, father of the renowned Pastor Hans Feeney, uh, the author of Lutheran Satire and also writer for the Federalists. So that's quite a docket you have there, Pastor Feeney. Well, thank you. (laughs) In the Words of John the Baptist, uh, my son must increase as I decrease. <laughs> <laughs> well, you always have a special place in my heart. I did, uh, again, appreciate having you as a mentor when it came to going out to be a church planter, and uh, my seminary days was blessed to have learned much from you, so thank you. You did a great job, too. <laughs> to God be the glory. So let's let's get started with this conversation about this call for those to be missionaries. And I think it's kind of an interesting topic, just from my perspective at the national level. Um, it comes from a lot of different sources. So there are times when the first person that makes contact here at our office to talk about church planning might be simply a layperson who sees the need in their community. So an example, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, one of our Mission Field USA projects, it was a layperson um, who also had a uh, father-in-law who was a missionary, um, globally speaking, and he saw the need in one of the quadrants there in Albuquerque that was growing and yet didn't have a Lutheran presence. He was the first one to talk to me. He was the first one to get out there and really start canvassing the area. And it was kind of exciting to work with a really uh, resourceful uh, person who had a heart for, for mission. And sometimes we have people that are in a core group in a certain location, and they say, hey, you know, we're Lutheran in our background, but we don't have any Lutheran presence here, and we're kind of interested. What does it take? Who do we have to talk to about 
planting new churches. So, um, Pastor Feeney, what would you say about who's given and in terms of Christians and their vocation, you know, that vocatio and the calling, who, who is called in terms of being a Christian and being a missionary, would you say? Well, I think your point is well taken. Um, I think first, oftentimes when people think of new missions being started, they always think of, you know, sending the pastor, being the, being the first person on the ground. But it's almost always the case that the impetus or the desire for a mission uh, comes from the laity, people who have moved into an area or people who see a need. And, it, you know, we have to kind of back up and say, you know, the Great Commission is not just given to pastors. Mm. Great Commission is actually given to the whole church, and that includes everybody, it includes children, you know, as they confess their faith to other people. But, um, yeah, the, the planting of a, of a church, um, really that, that seed, that, that primary seed usually is in the lay people. And if we, even if we look at the history of, of Lutheranism, we find, like I was over in France, and I discovered that one of the, uh, there was a, a church that had been, been a Lutheran church in France, that had been started by seamen that had been sailing into France and had probably taken up residence and followed by business people. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened in India. Um, so wherever wherever God sends them, wherever God puts them, everybody has an opportunity, like it happened with the early Christian church when they were the diaspora, when they were scattered. Everywhere that they went, they went and really became uh, I guess you might say the first missionaries on the mission field, and eventually, of course, to that end, then they they or the broader church then calls pastors to then go out and to seek them and to gather them and to instruct them and to lead them and to eventually then become their pastors. So, laity uh, are really the they're the first line of of, uh, of the church. Yeah. So they do a lot of that plowing and even some of the the planting of the seed, but then there comes that time where there is a need for a full-time kind of mission developer and church planter who can devote, uh, you know, their their full attention to getting the new congregation up and uh, started. So, Mark, did you have any thoughts about that? Well, I was just going to—I think it's very true what you say, that very often— Someone out there in the field has the idea that there needs to be a, a church planted here. But what would you say the relationship is between um, those initial folks who probably would be lay people in the past or once they arrive? What's the role of the lay people afterwards? Well, um, my, my own experience has been that um, a lot of times the, I guess you might say, the adversity that it takes to start a new church which isn't just evangelizing, but it's really bearing the cost and having to kind of live by faith that you're going to grow and otherwise your pastor is going to starve. Um, <laughs> you know, these, these, um, these people uh, are some of the best evangelists uh, out there. And really, um, uh, it's, a, it's like a marriage uh, where the two have to work hand-in-hand hand with each other and they form a, one of the, you know, the great joys of starting a, a mission congregation with this core group of people is that there's a bond that you have with one another because of all the things that you have to go through. Those people have to be very energetic, very dedicated, very willing to take up the, the cost and the sacrifice of starting that new mission. But God never, ever lets that sacrifice go unnoticed, and it's highly rewarded with an awful lot of enjoyment and joy as well. Mm-hmm. Very good. That certainly does seem to 
be the case, you know, the planning and administration and even doing some of that groundwork and going out and, and evangelizing and inviting people into the church certainly is, uh, you, know, you know, as you said, a, a relationship that is very healthy and important for the planting of a new congregation. So thinking about the, the harvest, how, how would you talk about identifying workers for the harvest? Well, you know, beyond the, the question sometimes of laity, which I think the, the laity should sometimes, they, you know, they have their, their vocations, and their vocations will then send them to different places. And um, I guess you might say, if wherever God has put you, that's where it is that God wants you. So uh, start, just start as as that first missionary on the ground. But when it comes to then this identifying workers for the harvest, a pastor, what kind of a pastor uh, needs to be a mission pastor? Um, it's, it's, not, it's not anything that is a, I mean, you can't, you, we don't say that everybody's equipped to be a pastor, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, um, or a missionary pastor, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's, that's, there's something wrong with somebody if they can't be a mission pastor, but but there's something that's kind of unique about the mission pastor that gets called into the mission field. And, um, you know, I, the Apostle Paul uses this example. He says that he's an expert builder, and he lays a foundation that others then come and, and build upon. Um, I, I built a, a cabin once uh, up in the North Woods, and um, I got this Nor- Norwegian to come out and help me. Uh, do it, and we had a month to try and get the thing framed up and ready to go. He took an entire week to just work on the foundation, and it got me so upset because they didn't figure we'd get everything, anything else done. <laughs> but he made it clear uh, that foundation is so vital to the the rest of the building. You, it, by the time that you get to the rafters, the rafters are all going to be off if the foundation's not in the right laid in the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think that. That mission pastor has to be a person who is willing to be the foundation layer without necessarily probably being able to have the joy of seeing the rest of the building built later on. And um, there's a lot of patience, there's a lot of sacrifice that is needed from a pastor if he's going to go out and start a congregation. And sometimes it's 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 very hard on both pastor and his wife or his family to take that time to really do a good job of laying a foundation. That's a, a good point. So I know in my own situation, right, so we were going to plant a new church in a new place, and I, I wasn't even from there. So in terms of reaching out in the community, um, really making an impact and doing some of those uh, events and mercy activities, it was very helpful to have a strong core group with a, a heart for reaching the lost and the least. Um, but on the other hand, it was really incumbent upon me to gather these folks together to make us a strong core group, uh, to ha- kind of have that shared understanding of why we were there and what we were going to do, and that catechesis that went into it to give us kind of that shared confession that we would bring to this community that did not have a confession of faith, of the, the Lutheran um, confession. And so it was, it was important for folks to have their different skills and 
Uh, I know I was actually asked to be in the mission developer program just because, you know, they, they found out at the seminary, hey, I heard you started a couple kind of business ventures. What do you think about starting a church? Because there are, there are some certain characteristics for, for folks that are interested in starting something new from the ground up. Definitely. Mark, do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Uh, Pastor, if, if you were going to give advice to someone who is considering being a missionary and he's just getting started with, in planting a, a new congregation and is looking at the foundation, what couple pieces of advice would you give him on what that foundation should look like? Well, um, I, I think uh, you, you mentioned, uh, Steve mentioned the, um, the catechesis, the instruction. I think very often um, a pastor wants to be able to have growth quickly. And one of the things that you learn is that quick growth does not lead to long-term growth. Um, you, you have to build, I guess, a, a core group that's very dedicated, not to you per se, mm-hmm. although you will have a very strong bond between yourselves, but um, you want the, the group to be focused and centered on what distinctively makes us as Lutheran Christians. You know, it's that word and sacrament that really defines us. And when, if a smaller group, like the Marines, I'm looking for a few good men, mm-hmm. uh, when, when a smaller group is uh, very closely bonded in word and sacrament ministry, then what will happen over time is a much stronger congregation. And I would encourage a pastor to, to not only focus upon that, but also to be patient and to know, uh, don't be so concerned about the numbers. Be more concerned about the enrichment and the spiritual growth of the people that you're serving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very good. So, I mean, it's a, a bit of a daunting task, you know, when you, you go into a place with no Lutheran presence and you know that, you know, for the generations to come that you're establishing a Lutheran presence and what what does that look like and it does take time to get everybody um, working together to understand what it, what does it mean to be the Lutheran church in this place what why why do we need to be here I mean you might go into a, a location that has multiple churches in the area but what what is it about the the Lutheran presence that uh, makes it distinct and and necessary to be in this this place so that's that's a good point but even when we identify that Mission work isn't for everybody. It does take kind of that expert builder. Um, Pastor Feeney, what would you say about the different skill sets that might be needed depending on the context of where the church planter is going to be sent? Well, I think um, I think uh, one of the things that is happening today is that there are a couple of different philosophies about the way in which... Um, uh, missions are, are planted, and this might um, it might influence or, or have an impact upon the type of skills that the pastor might have. Um, I, I believe that there are there are standalone type ministries uh, where you know the, the old days of the Missouri Synod, where you give a guy gave a guy a, a, a Chevrolet and a Bible, and you told them to go out and start a <laughs> church, you know, and, yeah. and and they did. Um, but this was also a day when people had a strong identity with being Missouri Synod. They had, um, even though they might be scattered and in small communities, uh, very often there was a maybe a higher level of communal interest in starting a congregation. 
Um, today, um, you know, if you look at, at some of the uh, statistics in the Missouri Synod, I, I was interested in trying to find out where are we, you know, doing a good job. And so I took three random years over the last uh, 20 years, and I looked at every congregation that had been started in that in that particular year or in those three years, and discovered that uh, the standalone ministries are having a hard time being able to get up to a, what I call fighting weight, which is usually around, say, 100 people that are worshiping on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, I also looked at satellite ministries, but the problem with satellite ministries, which are uh, ministries that are formed kind of as a sub portion of a mother congregation that's usually a larger congregation and they kind of operate together uh, in harmony with one another that satellite ministry congregations are reporting on the in the Lutheran annual actually the membership of the mother congregation so we're having a hard time being able to understand mm-hmm. how well satellite congregations are doing or prospering gotcha. But the, the skills that are necessary for a standalone ministry are different than they are for a satellite ministry. Satellite ministry is somebody who works with a team, who works in conjunction with um, a group of people who are usually um, DCEs, pastors, uh, music directors, and so on. And that that's a different skill set than a guy who goes out and who's kind of a lone ranger who has to kind of do all of that and try to pull all that together and work with architects and uh, bring in uh, new people and catechize and instruct, and um, at the same time you have to kind of, uh, I guess, be the the main uh, pole in the tent that holds the congregation together for a while. And um, those are those are things that are very very different. So I guess it would, I guess the skills of the pastor might depend upon the type of mission congregation you might be wanting to start. Gotcha, and that's true. I've also heard it kind of referred to as hiving off of an existing. Congregation, so it does fall under the existing congregation. It's taking resources and almost kind of, in a little less autonomous way, taking the DNA of the congregation with them to start in another location. Sometimes you can, like you said, you can really not tell the difference. It's just kind of here we are, but we're in a different location. And in the even in the standalone ministry, you still have to be pretty entrepreneurial, but we would, I think, suggest that you do want to have a mother congregation, at least, um, that is helping you to get things going, maybe get your financial accounting and all the rest of that kind of under their under their uh, umbrella to get a good, healthy start. But in any case, like you said, it does require uh, a little bit of nuance in terms of the, the church planner's skills. Now the um, one of the things I think that um, I have noticed is that exactly you know, oftentimes the people that 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 are start that are starting this new church are usually coming from mm. church, mm-hmm. and that means that that church has to adopt this mission in a positive way. And it, it's, it's so helpful for them to be encouraging of people. Look, you know. God, God has a way of being able to supply new people mm-hmm. to replace those who are going to the new mission, and I, I think that oftentimes is not clear enough. 
and pastors sometimes get territorial and they worry that they are going to lose membership <laughs> if a new congregation will start. Yeah. Of course, they are. They're, these people are going to be going to a, a new place and they're going to perhaps even be in the area where they are presently living. But I, I, I've always noticed that whenever you give up people to start a new church, God has his own ways of being able to supply people that come and take their place, or even more people, because it makes the church more mission-minded as a whole. Yeah, That's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, you can almost envision, uh, you know, we we're talking about the call to be a missionary. You, you know, you think of uh, Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> and what was the promise? You know, when Abraham is faithful and he goes to where God sends him and the altar is established and they call in the name of the Lord, you know, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a blessing um, to to the world, and it's going to, as you said, in, increase. Uh, so that that is a leap of faith. Uh, there's no doubt, but we do know, like you said, God God will definitely bless those Abrahams and Sarahs that are willing to to take that call. And I thought it was kind of interesting, and, and I've seen it as well too. So you send the Abraham and the Sarah, and they start talking about, you know, there was this person that used to go to church or, you know, there is a person that does live in the area that I know has a Lutheran. I mean, and it does. That's just kind of how it naturally progresses that you continue to abundantly see God uh, in this harvest for sure. No doubt. So Pastor Feeney, let's also talk about, um, you know, we, we discussed that there are different skill sets depending on the context. What about the differing approaches to how you go about this mission work? Well, this is, I think this is maybe an area where um, I want to say that, that, that there's, there's controversy over this, but I think that there is a very different way in which the American culture has, it functions in, in the way in which it starts churches or anticipates or believes that churches should function, and the way in which we have as a confessional church body, as a, as a church that has... Um, a well-educated clergy as a church that's word and sacrament directed, that has liturgy, that has hymnals. Um, this uh, appears to be a very almost old world. Um, American, if you go all the way back to the origins of uh, Christianity in the United States, and especially in New England, uh, and these great awakenings and whatever else not, um, experience was something which became, I guess you might say, it, it was put in front of doctrine or teaching. And, uh, the, the, the sacraments of the Church took on very little importance uh, uh, as uh, the Church was kind of defined by where the Holy Spirit was moving people to have uh, very deep and personal experiences. I had a lady this uh, last week that was telling me that she was brought up Roman Catholic, and she got very confused when her Baptist neighbor told her that she didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus and that there was something lacking, therefore, that she wasn't really a Christian. And that's this American evangelicalism, which uh, always puts um, experience or a, a kind of a revivalism, if you will, um, as kind of a defining mark of the Church. Our Church has always been a Church that... Uh, sends pastors to preach and to teach and to proclaim the gospel, and then where that word is and where it touches and reaches people, it's the word that creates the faith within them, then they respond to the word. And this is 
very, very different from American culture. So when it comes to starting missions, we are oftentimes presented with the question, are we going to be experience-driven or are we going to be doctrinally, sacramentally driven as our, as our primary face? And um, do, we, do we lay our teachings out in front of people, and if they accept, that's wonderful, and if they don't accept, then they're rejecting a teaching? Or do we find a way to be able to try and, and bring them into the church through warm, close friendships? Um, I, was, I was a pastor in Utah, and I discovered that Mormonism really uses kind of that whole social experiential model to bring people into the church and people don't find out what it is that the Mormon church really teaches until much later after they've been incorporated into the church. Well, that kind of thing is very culturally American. Hmm. And so I think when it comes to starting a church, we have to sometimes sit back and ask, are we going to follow an Americanized model or are we going to follow the traditional Lutheran model and um, I can guarantee you that a lot of people get very rapid growth with the American model because it's very much in keeping with people's expectations. Um, we don't get a lot of rapid growth uh, with the traditional model, but the traditional model is the model of historic Christianity. And uh, this is something that um, I was reading a little bit about some of the Norwegian pastors when they first came to this country and they saw all the sects that they they, they saw in American Christianity. And they knew, um, they, they said, uh, the only way of being able to protect their people was um, by uh, grounding them in the church uh, with baptism and Lord's Supper and the hymnals and the Lutheran confessions. And this is the only thing that kept them from sliding away into this kind of Methodist culture that was out in the American frontier. Well, and certainly sacramental church planting would be of a minority. I do think, regardless, even theologically speaking, that there there's a temptation for any church planter. Uh, regardless, I, I'm thinking of the, the quote from Eugene Peterson, who, who talks about beware of becoming the shopkeeper rather than the shepherd of the flock. You know, he says it's easy. We just talked about the viability of your congregation. Um, when when I went out to start a, a business venture, I had a lot of risk, even though it was kind of the, the very beginning of the dot-com era and things went well. And obviously we know the internet has since taken off. But when that whole thing started kind of as that tech uh, entrepreneur, it could have gone badly for me and my family and our financial position. And for a lot of church planners, they're under the same pressure. You know, you're expected to become self-sustaining within a certain amount of time. The, the, the grant money is going to run out and you're expected to have so many people that join the church. So I think every church planter is under a bit of pressure. And what P- Peterson talks about is you can get caught up in attracting more customers. You know, you kind of have a, a view of this is like any other venture, and you need to have more customers. You need to keep those customers happy. You need to lure away some of the other competitors' customers from down the street. So I think regardless, uh, mission developers are under under that kind of strain and that kind of temptation uh, to lose sight of, of the shepherd and the sheep relationship and, and really get caught up in now how, how are we going to attract more. So I, I definitely think that is a good caution for, for mission developers. 
you know, and the, and the the other thing along with just even supporting the pastor is that, you know, typically as we grow as a church, we need a building, we need a place that we can call our own, mm. which becomes a visible symbol in the community. And the expense today of building churches is really phenomenal. I mean, mm. it's, it's, it really stretches the uh, the capabilities of of the congregation, and um, the days of synodical support are they're waning. They're, the, the synod itself it just does not have the resources anymore to do what they used to do. And you know, some of these um, these programs that the synod has put on uh, isn't like the days when we were first starting as a congregation out in Utah. I think we've received a forward in remembrance grant of about sixty thousand dollars. And it's you know this is big stuff. It really helped us to be able to put down down payment on a piece of property. You know? mm. yeah. um, the Labors for Christ program was actually started uh, in the Rocky Mountain District by Bernard Robbie and a guy by the name of Clayton Melby, and um, they saw you can't you can't expect congregations to carry big burdens financially when they first start off. So they started off with this Labors for Christ program. These guys came out. I think we built our, our building, our first building, we built for $20 a square foot. Right, right. And it's becoming more of a challenge. I know in, in my situation, the district had set aside, you know, a massive amount of money for us. And, you know, over a three to five year period, the expectation was we're, we're going to get this thing off the ground. So it allowed me to go out into the community. I could serve in a lot of different ways in the hospitals and the prison and the nursing home and all, all the rest of it. Uh, you know, but, but that's becoming more of a challenge and we will probably talk about it more in another podcast, but just this idea of, uh, having to, uh, maybe be bivocational, um, to be the church planter, to find creative ways to uh, secure places to worship. So it's definitely becoming more and more of a challenge and, and something that we need to continue to to think about and wrestle with. Uh, the best approach to continue the Lutheran uh, tradition that you mentioned, but also uh, that we can uh, make it a viable way to, to get a plant. Yes, Mark, what did you have to say? Well, I was just going to, remembering <laughs> one of the other great resources that we don't have anymore uh, was, uh, remember when Lutheran Church Extension Fund had advanced sites? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah man, yeah. that was such a blessing. And yeah. maybe you didn't have that in Sandy, but I know many churches were, had a great blessing Yeah. in that, you know, um, that ministry looked out into the future where yeah. they might plant churches in 10 years or 20 years. I don't know what their yeah, time yeah. frame was exactly, but it was pretty long. Right. And right. that property uh you know increased in value but the, the congregation got it for uh got a great deal you know yeah. i don't know many yeah. details but it was uh it was another blessing well <laughs> to give them a plug they do have the merle freitag revolving loan and mm -hmm. uh it's 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 meant to be a secure no interest uh loan that goes out mm -hmm. you get your church planted you put the money back in it goes out again so um so yeah that's what i'm saying we do need to continue to strive for creative ways to to do this as a a church body and but the, again that's that's just going to be part of the the challenge for for mission developers so talking about mission pastors um reverend feeney what what are some of the gifts that you think a mission pastor needs to possess well i i think uh, that when we talk about these these gifts, um, we have to do do the uh, the Lutheran uh, uh, waffle here, where we, where we say on the one hand this and on the other hand that. <laughs> um, 
the um, you know we want to start off by saying you know we've got to be theologically sound, but at the same time we have to be relevant to people. You know, in other mm-hmm. words, we've got to be speaking in their language, and we have to be able to use analogies and illustrations and all these things that actually speak to them and to their daily lives. And how do you preach doctrine? You know, and then at the same time talk about their trials and their woes and their sorrows and the things that their joys and the things that that speak to them in their life. So I think those, on the one hand, this, and on the other hand, that. Um, I think a pastor should be enterprising, which, you know, you talked about being an entrepreneur. Mm. Uh, you know, you have to be able to kind of think of what things can be, and you have to be able to know what the future would look like, and you have to uh, try to find ways of being able to solve problems that are creative but at the same time, you have to be realistic, and you can't just be a pie in the sky, and if we build it, they will come, and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, you have to have a, you have to be capable of being able to accept a, a certain level of risk. You know, we, we, I, I know that when we moved here to to uh, Indiana, um, I, I was taking a $10,000 a year cut in my salary, and can I live on this, you know? Um, well, if you if you see that there's a future, uh, if you see that that there's something that can that needs to come from this, um, then you have to do this. But at the same time, you can't be so unrealistic as to then let your family starve either. Um, on the one hand, I think that uh, a pastor has to be uh, risk tolerant. You have to be um, capable of being able to handle uh, risk. Um, you know, the uncertainty, and yet I think you have to be able to say, hey, look, we're, we're people of faith here, and we believe that our message is something that really does speak to the hearts and the minds of people and confident in that. I, I think I think where I think a lot of times pastors, um, you know, you had talked about how it is that it's so easy to become the caretaker, which means that you're, you're, you start accommodating people and you start kind of playing to what you perceive to merely be their needs, and yet you know, we should be confident in who we are. Um, it's hard to be confidently Lutheran today because it just doesn't, I mean, it's a label and people are used to non-denominational churches and so on. So, you know, we, we have to have some confidence, and yet at the same time, I don't suppose that we're, we're going to all expect that we're going to have the success of of the Apostle Paul and converting the world. Um, I'm sorry to keep on going here. Oh, keep going. (laughs) It's important. I think think, uh, you have to be a lover of people on the one hand, and you have to truly, truly love people. And this is, you know, not everybody, I mean, some people have maybe more stoic personalities or whatever, but, you know, you just have to like people. (laughs) And yet at the same time, you have to be a leader. Sure. And, and that there's a tension in that. You know, there are times that you have to step back from your people. In almost every mission congregation, I've, I have friends who have been, I think, fairly successful missionaries. They find that very often the first people that come to start a mission come to go into some sort of trauma later on as the pastor has to become a leader of a larger group and incorporate other people into the leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this is something that every pastor who's a mission pastor will probably face, is that there will be some, 
uh, some tugging there as you have to become a leader uh, of people that you have become so deeply attached to. Um, I think a pastor has to be personal. Um, you know, I don't know if anybody called you Pastor Mark or Pastor Steve, but um, <laughs> the the you know you know we want to be personal with people. We want to be in their lives and and such. And yet, at the same time, we want to be professional. We want to be a pastor, and that's an that's an office. And so, it's it's can be hard sometimes to distinguish between those two and and sit inside of those two sides of your life, um, and and make that all work. Um, I think a, a pastor has to be, especially a mission pastor, has has to be very altruistic. Um, you have to you have to be there for them. There are givers and there are takers, and, and by George, a mission pastor has got to be a giver, and you mm-hmm. will not get back from people what you would like to get back from them. Mm-hmm. You, you will in heaven, but you're not going <laughs> to necessarily get it on earth, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and a, but a part of that altruism, um, uh, it, there's a tension there with your own family, and you, know, you have to also be there for your own family, and your family has needs, and very often the needs of your family will appear as though you can't be what you need to be for your congregation. And that's just a tension. Hmm. But uh, whatever you do as a mission pastor, do not get, neglect your family. Right. Whatever you do, do not uh, start kind of living for your own self, but you have to live for this greater community that you're serving. Mm-hmm. Um, three more things. Uh, I think a pastor, a pastor has to be visionary, which means that you have, when you walk out on that property and it's just a barren piece of property and you've just made a down payment and you don't know how the heck the congregation is going to be able to you know, pay LCEF for their, <laughs> their payments, you have to be visionary and see that building and so on, but you also have to be very patient. And you can't, you can't it might be 10 years before you get there, but you have to be patient enough and yet you know you're, you're going to be the, the the turtle rather than the tortoise or you're, you're going to be the you're going to be the tortoise rather than the hare mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've got to you've got to just plug away and it, it eventually happens um i think a pastor should be creative and yet a pastor should also be traditional and this is another you know area where i think we're having some struggles in our church today because Creativity is fine, uh, but you know we have to be able to hand down to our children something that they're going to hand down to their children. We have to be able to give them music that they are going to sing with their children. We're going to have to have something that they can find from one church to another. Uh, so much of mission growth, mission growth, uh, uh, requires people to come from another congregation to your congregation. If you look at the statistics, that very often people are not joining another Missouri Synod congregation if they move. And one of those reasons can can be they are not receiving the same kind of ministry, the same kind of worship when they move. Hmm. I, call, I call this corporate evangelism. It means that we have such a strong identity as a church that people will want to join the same church wherever they uh, go to. And there's... a well, I, now that I'm retired, I can come and visit everybody's congregation, and I've been to a number of congregations, and very often they don't look very much alike. Hmm. And this is, I think, I think this is a 
creating a problem for us because our people are moving. And if they can move into a non-denominational big box church, and it doesn't seem any different to them from a Missouri Synod church, um, you know, we're not going to keep them. And so there's something that pastors should be creative and always be energetic about it. But uh, the last thing, I'm sorry to dominate here, is to be, um, I think you have to be sensitive to criticism, in the uh, what I call positive criticism, because people are going to say, you know, Pastor, uh, I don't really like this, or this doesn't seem to speak to us, or I think you've taken us in the wrong direction here. And you have to be sensitive to that, yet at the same time, when negative criticism comes, you have to be immune to it. You have to be able to stand up against it. And, you know, Lehman once said to me, you need to have a thick skin, Pastor. sometimes this stuff hurts pretty badly and you know you don't get a better pastor as a result of it so i think that's kind of generally what i would consider to be some of the the things the gifts maybe that a mission pastor might need to have oh very good i mean the humble visionary truly loving shepherd i think those are all the the attributes and like you said it's just such a kind of fascinating juxtaposition that to me, when you're looking for a mission developer, this is like the Top Gun program. I mean, this is, you, you know, it's hard enough to go into an existing situation, but when you're starting from, from scratch, I mean, you really need the brightest and the best. You need the, you know, theologically trained. But then, as you said, you might have to take it down to such a level. You know, you're at a, a men's shelter, and there's a guy who's, you know, getting off of drugs, and he's talking about, you know, well, once I get myself cleaned up, I'll come visit you. I mean, you need to be able to be approachable. You need to be able to put that in uh, very simple terms for somebody. What What is different about this Lutheran confession uh, and our understanding of God's mercy and grace? So it, it is an interesting juxtaposition to, to think about. These guys are going to be your best and your brightest, uh, you know, mission developers that are out there, and yet they also have to be very approachable. They have to be very authentic in their love for other people and the downtrodden and the marginalized, and they have to be able to go into, you know, like you were talking about with the building, but they have to go into some of these communities where things are a mess, um, and yet they see that the church can make a difference. So when they plant this church, they see not what is and what's missing and lacking, but they see what already exists in this place and what they as a, a group of God's people can do to really make a lasting impact. And again, the, the best being the, the gospel. And I thought it was kind of fascinating. I heard not too long ago from a church planter in Washington, D.C., and he was talking about, you know, best education system, political strength, uh, money, like crazy in this city. He said, if you had a place where you could have fixed all of the world's problems, you you have everything there, and yet it's not happening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When you look at what's going on in these communities, he says, you know, it's the gospel that's going to make the impact. Uh, If it was politics and laws and money and influence and all the rest of it, it would be happening. But, um, but yeah, we need to send our mission developers to, to truly have a lasting impact uh, for the gospel in these, these communities. So it is an interesting juxtaposition to have kind of our, our best and our brightest, but that they can do these things in terms of uh, the average person because that's who they're, they're reaching to the least and the lost. 
no I, doubt. I, I, mm-hmm. I would, I would, I would, I would echo that because I think, I think one of the things that people think is that if if you're going to start a church and you don't have a lot of money, the best thing to do is to find somebody that you, that you can pay. Uh, you know, a small amount of money to maybe with a small amount of education, um, and you know some of the things that, of course, are behind all this and the types of, of ministerial training now that where we're finding ways of being able to ordain people without a whole lot of theological training. It's, it should be just the opposite. We do need to send guys who are extremely well equipped, and the better equipped theologically, personally, that a pastor is in starting a mission, the greater the impact, I think, um, upon the future, not just of that church. Um, one of my um, ancestral uh, uncles here uh, came over to this country, and he was very, very well educated. He was a uh, graduate from the University of Berlin and so on and so forth. He, he came to um, uh, Chicago area and he became pastor of Zion Lutheran Church, which was at that time was in the Addison Township and now is in Bensonville. That congregation started eight other congregations um, off of it, it, its congregation, and yet the pastor very often had to, well, he had conflicts with the uh, with uh, these guys who wanted to drink at voters' assemblies. <laughs> and they they would. They, it says that they they threw human dung at his house and they <laughs> took his wagon wheels apart and women used to have to form life chains so he could get into the church to preach because the men were all with, standing there with clubs ready to kill him. You know? <laughs> and do you, do you send a do you send a person who doesn't have any abilities to that place? No, yeah. you send your toughest guys, and uh, and that's what we want today too. We want guys who've got some grit. Yeah, some grit. And, uh, you know, even the raising up of leaders in these communities that know those communities, I mean, those are all assets. So definitely theologically trained that can associate with uh, people well that in those communities that they'll serve. And, uh, you know, it's it's going to, like you said, it's going to be one of the greatest challenges that we have in the church uh, to plant congregations. Um, I would imagine if we use the phrase success rates, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like ventures uh, where— Many of them will not really get off the ground, but we need to we need to do everything we can to give a good uh, situation for the the church planner going in, no doubt. So, um, Mark, did you have any other thoughts? No, on that? I I guess the word that's going through been going through my head as we talk about uh, who a pl- church planter is, mm. uh, is resilient. You know, yeah. you just have to. <laughs> yeah. you'll, you'll meet <laughs> obstacles, get knocked down, you, yeah. you just got to get back up. You yeah. know. Um, uh, you know, so that's I, I think I think from any ministry you really need that, but yeah. I think it's especially true for church planters. Oh yeah, I mean so. when we look at Luther's uh, marks of the church, and he talks about the cross. Right. You know, that's what I thought. In my situation, uh, everything went as well as it could have asked. A great core group of people. We got everybody unified. We had our bumps in the road here and there, but within just a few years, you know, not only had we kind of blossomed ourselves, but in the whole community, we were kind of known as. Uh, the church that's doing this, this, and this, mm-hmm. and all these great things. And it's not like the devil just sat there and said, hey, good work, everybody. You know, <laughs> it's so wonderful to see you serving the least of the least here in the shanty town and the women's shelter over here. All the great stuff you're doing. You guys keep at it. I mean, certainly the, the devil is going to throw everything he can to bring disunity and disharmony and uh, 
and to shut it down. But you're right. You absolutely have to have somebody. You guys both brought it up. Grit and resiliency. That is (laughs) definitely a factor in uh, successful church planting. Pastor Feeney, any any concluding thoughts for us? Well, I I think um, we have to always remember that um, no one is going to be uh, the uh, Jesus, and no one's going to be the Apostle Paul. Um, you know that those kinds of of gifts are, are very well. We're very often, every one of us has got our clay feet, and we have weaknesses and we have failings. And if a, if a person ever decides that they would like to be a mission pastor and undertake these challenges, that they should always be aware that that since the church the congregation is a body of Christ, that the gifts that he may be lacking will be made up for by the people that are drawn to his preaching and teaching. And he will not be, the church, the body of Christ will not be lacking. Um, And that's, I think, I think what's comforting sometimes is to see that actually in action. You know, when you're, when you're maybe in an established congregation, which you know, has been doing business the way it's been doing business for years and years and years. You don't, you don't sometimes see how that new sapling is really going to grow. Hmm. And when you're a mission pastor and you get to see that, wow, you know, I didn't, like when I came here and we had to develop this property and such, all of a sudden this guy shows up and he's <laughs> retired and he's, his family was in the construction business and he was such a a hard-headed guy that they kicked him out of the business and said, your sons will take over. Now you get out and do something else. He said, I need a project. (laughs) (laughs) It is funny how that works. And, you know, they, and they, sometimes they just walk in the door and they right at the time that you say, we can't go on without this, or we need this person, or we need somebody to work with our youth. And somebody says, Oh, I'd like to do, I've been wanting to do that for years, you know? And, and, and so, and so it's such a joyous, wondrous thing to go through. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And and like you said, there's going to be bumps in the road. One of the main things you need to consider is that it's about forgiveness and forgiving each other in the process. And it's, it's like you said, about praying to the Lord of the harvest that he's going to bring workers to the field, but ultimately knowing that in the end it, it will be God. You know, he, he, it is his harvest. It is his work. And even despite us sometimes, um, we'll see Mission Field USA continue uh, to be to reap uh, God's harvest, and so uh, we're very excited, uh, Pastor, to have you with us and to talk a little bit about who who it is uh, and how we work together and this relationship uh, between the, the shepherd and his flock, but also to send these workers into the harvest. And we continue to pray that the Lord will grant us uh, those who will work in His field. Thank you for your time, Pastor Feeney. Thank you. Amen. Yes. Well, thank you for the invitation. I agree, appreciate it greatly. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you. you.